Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity, where we demonstrate the ways that you can break in by sharing the stories of others. Today, we have Peter Armstrong, who will be sharing his stories, as well as his advice for those that are looking to follow in his footsteps. Um, Peter, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background on where you were before you were even interested in tech or cyber? Sure. And thanks for inviting me on your show. I really appreciate that. So I was a teacher for quite a number of years and I was not enjoying what I was doing. It was extremely stressful. And pretty much from the point I got there on Monday morning, I couldn't wait until Friday afternoon when I'd be done. And every weekend it'd be great until Sunday evening came around and I'd start to get a little depressed because I'd have to go back to that job on Monday morning. And uh, so what happened was during 2020, when COVID came and we all started teaching at home, I just felt like, you know what, this is a good time to look into something else. And so I always had felt like maybe I should have gone into computers in the first place many years ago. So I began looking into that. And then one day, I don't know how, I don't know where it came from, but I saw an ad for a cyber boot camp. It was the one I eventually attended. It's called Full Stack Cyber Bootcamp. And they had a little quiz. Do you have the kind of thinking skills necessary to be successful in cybersecurity? It was like 10 questions. So I took the quiz and I did well on it, but mostly I just loved doing the quiz, like all the kinds of thinking and like patterns. And I remember one question was a set of like seemingly unrelated numbers. And then it was pre predict the next number in this sequence. And I used to sit in those boring staff meetings, making up questions like that in my head for fun. So uh, I thought, this is really up my alley. I want to look into this. So I, I researched it some more. Supposedly, there were a lot of openings in cybersecurity. And I looked into the boot camp, and it seemed legit. And I took it, and it worked out. And pretty much about a, it was a year journey from there. The boot camp I did from well, August. Let's kind of take a step back. So what okay. were you teaching? I was teaching middle school science in sixth and eighth grade, pretty much. Okay. So you started, you saw this quiz, you started to get interested. Um, which aspect of cyber first interests you? At first, I was thinking, I remember reading years ago about any a hacker who hacked into the account of some high up guy in the FBI or the CIA or something. And this guy got pissed off and he spent years tracking this guy down and he finally found him. So that sounded kind of interesting to me. I thought I would like to do that, but I ended up in risk and compliance. And the way that happened was in my boot camp. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Um, we were reading through a book on, uh, actually, it's right here. This was a part of the curriculum in the boot camp. Mm -hmm. And I remember the, the moment where I read in this chapter and they were talking about all the different regulations that companies have to comply with. And I remember thinking to myself, there must be a role within a company where they are making sure that their company is meeting all of these regulations controls. I didn't even know what it was called at that time. And mm -hmm. so I asked my the teacher the next day in my boot camp, he said, yeah, that's called compliance. And I was like, you know, I, I think I might like that. So uh, I looked into that. And then from that point on, that was that was what I wanted to do. 
Wow. So you decided that you wanted to go into compliance. You were studying, uh, for those that didn't see the book, it was the CompTIA CYSA Plus, and that you like risk and compliance. What about it from your middle school teaching to risk and compliance did you find that you liked or even that transferred from what you did? Okay. So I would say I definitely had skills that transferred over and I put that into my resume. And I can talk about that in a little bit. I wouldn't say the content of what I was teaching transferred over as much. It was more some of the skills that I had, you know, practice in those years of, of teaching. I was a lead teacher, so I led a lot of meetings. And so I had a lot of experience with that. Um, I love to write and, and policy writing is a big part of that and writing reports. I do a lot of writing in my job. I'm sure teachers also have to follow a lot of rules and uh, things that they have to comply with for state state and local education. Uh, I don't even like to think about that because a lot of that <laughs> is well, so depressing. You know, but did, did, did you think about that as, as you looked for transferable skills from where you were to where you were going? Not as much. What I put in in my resumes, transferable skills are the fact that as as a teacher, as a lead teacher, I had to lead meetings and administration would tell me, we want the science department to do X, Y, and Z. And I knew they were all going to hate that. There would just be more work for them, whatever. But I had to get them to do it. So as a lead teacher, I had to figure out how I could get those teachers to buy in to whatever this new thing was that was coming down the pike. And I figure in the same way in risk and compliance, you may be telling a client, this is something you need to do and they don't want to do it. So you have to figure out because it's more expense, it's more work. So you have to figure out a way, how can I get this person to get buy into this because they need, they need to do this to be secure. So that was one thing. Uh, as I said, my writing ability was something that I felt really uh, um, applied. And I actually spoke to my boss like a couple months after I was hired. And I asked her, you know, as you looked at my resume, what was it that you saw that said, I want to call this person up for an interview? And she said, uh, actually, the first thing that popped out was the ability that you could write well, because I really needed somebody who could write well. So uh, that was, you know, one thing that popped out. So as you started to look for roles, what was your your approach in finding those roles? So I looked for any role that mentioned anything about risk and compliance. And my guideline was this, because a lot of jobs ask for experience. So I said, if they ask for five or more years of experience, that's my cutoff line. Then they really want somebody with experience. But anything less than that, I'm going to give it a try. And at the beginning, I was worried I wasn't finding a whole lot of entry-level positions in risk and compliance. And for the first week or so, I was like, did I go down the wrong path here? Am I trying to do something that, you know, maybe they don't hire any entry-level people for risk and compliance. Maybe you can't get those jobs until you've been doing something else for a couple of years. But I would find some. And I'd apply to them and I'd keep looking and I found enough to keep going. And I just kept going. I applied to over two months. I was doing nothing but applying for jobs full time. And uh, I had no interviews, nothing for two months. 
And then finally I got an email and I got an interview that led to my first job. So along the two months, did you, what was your approach with your resume or your job search? Did you change anything up? Did you customize your resume or do you feel like it was just luck and happenstance that you got selected? No. Okay. So I did networking on LinkedIn and I bring that up in my presentations that I do, but I didn't get my job directly through LinkedIn or through networking. However, one of the first people I networked with was a, a graduate of the same boot camp I went to, and he was already working in risk and compliance. So I asked him, could you look over my resume and help me tailor it to risk and compliance? Now, I'd already been told by our, our career counselor that my resume and my cover letter were super well written. She said they were like the best resume and cover letter she'd seen. So, I mean, I find it hard to believe, but that's what she said. So I felt like I was already starting from a good point. I, t- I focused on risk and compliance in my resume, and then I sent it to this my network uh, buddy, and he looked it over. He very carefully spent time on it, add this wording in, risk and compliance. They want to see this wording. They want to see that. And so I tailored it to risk and compliance. I didn't tailor it to like every job. Okay. Nobody, I feel like nobody has time to do that. People say you got to tailor your job, your resume to every application. I just tailored it to risk and compliance, exactly that, only that, and then applied the risk and compliance job. So I felt like my resume was already tailored to the role that I'm going for. Interesting. Uh, I mean, that that's definitely one approach. Did you research the companies or anything like that and really ensure that they were in alignment with your values, with your approach to things? I was really applying to so many jobs. I didn't have time to do that. So when I got a call for an interview, that's when I started doing the research. <laughs> okay. I literally, you know, I tell people, I kept a spreadsheet of all the jobs I applied to. And when I finally got a call for an interview or an email, I had to go back to my spreadsheet and find the company, find the role, and then go to, I, I kept on, on my spreadsheet, like the source of that advertising, that posting. And so I was able to go to whatever source it was, LinkedIn or whatever, and find the actual ad that I had responded to. And that's how I knew, okay, this is what I apply for. This is what they're looking for. And so because I kept that record, I was able to do that. And so that kind of helped me prepare for my interview. Interesting. And I'll add this, that they had asked for two to three years of experience in that, but they hired me with no experience. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I say is uh, if you meet 60 to 70% of the requirements, no, no, no matter about the experience requested you should go for it because a you want some room to grow and b i think you undervalued your teaching experience and how that translated because you you potentially didn't see all those transferable skills the fact that you documented so rigorously all the jobs that you applied to um Definitely sounds like you have the risk and compliance mentality. <laughs> uh, not many people would do that. They would just go apply. And I, I've done that. I just go apply. And w- when they call me back, I would be like, 
okay, so what exactly are you looking for in that role? Because I, there's always the difference between what the job description says and what the hiring manager wants. Yeah, that's true. I tell so, some people also that as I looked on my spreadsheet, be prepared for about 75% of the companies to literally ghost you, never contact you back, nothing. And then I had one company contact me a year after I had applied, I'd already been working for a year to tell me that uh, they were moving on to another, <laughs> whatever, I didn't fit their qualities or whatever. Well, um, that's one of the, the, I guess, inefficiencies of just applying to job boards. You become one in a number for one. And then you mentioned that you don't tailor the job specifically to that job description. So there you reduce the percentage chance of your resume being brought to the top based on how that recruiter might value keywords. So if you didn't take the opportunity to put keywords from that job description into your resume, now you fall in a lower percentage of match keywords, which is what applicant tracking systems use. And then they go, oh, okay, based on all these keyword matches and the algorithm that we have, these are the top 10 candidates you should look at. And everyone else is in the list. Some great recruiters, some great hiring managers will take the time and call out to every 200 people that do apply. And some of them get a response, some some don't. Because sometimes, like you said, they, they already got a job because the job market is potentially so hot that 15, 30 days later, um, they're already gone. But it takes time to call up 200 people and try to interview them as well. Right. So you mentioned that, that you do some um, some talks about uh, entering the field. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I was thinking about it last night, how I even got started doing this. And what happened was I would get a message on LinkedIn from somebody, one of my contacts, and they would say, you know, can you meet with me and talk about how you got into cybersecurity from a non-technical field? Because I'm trying to do the same thing. I need some advice. And I met with a couple people like that. And then I felt, you know, I, this is kind of inefficient. If I could do, I'm basically saying the same thing to these people. What if I could meet with more people? And so the next time somebody asked me to do that, I said, you know, what? I'll, I'll, I'm happy to do it. But you must know some other people who are also searching for cyber jobs. Can you get together with them and then we'll set up a meeting and I'll just present to all of you at the same time. And that's what happened. And it worked great. So I did that like one or two more times with smaller groups. And then I said, you know what, there's probably a lot more people out there that want to hear this information. So I started posting it on on my LinkedIn profile, you know, two weeks from now, I'm going to give a talk. I'm going to talk about how I transitioned into cyber from a non-technical field. I'm going to talk about my boot camp experience. I'm going to talk about how I study for my certifications and the whole experience of taking those certifications. And then I'm going to talk about how I conducted my job search. I'm going to talk about resumes and cover letters. I'm going to talk about how to network on LinkedIn because I, I hear from a lot of people I'm too shy. I just don't know how to network on LinkedIn. And and I so I literally go on to LinkedIn and step by step show people how to do this. You can do this. You can. 
and uh, talk about that and probably talk about some other thing. Oh, what I've been working lately is talking about LinkedIn profiles, like the pictures, because mm-hmm. so many people's LinkedIn profile picture is awful. It's, it's hard. If you start scrolling through LinkedIn profile, looking for a, a real good LinkedIn profile picture, I would say about one in 20 has like a good picture. And what I mean by good is just, you know, just your face close enough so they can see you. Hopefully you're smiling and uh, it's well lit. It's clear. It's not fuzzy. That's all I'm asking for. It doesn't need to be a studio picture. It could be any picture. Just make it a good picture. And so many people, their pictures are dark. They're fuzzy. They've been magnified like a thousand times because they're in this little thing. Or maybe it's their whole body and you can't even see the person because they're so small in the picture. And I feel like if somebody is seriously interested in hiring you, they're going to go to your LinkedIn profile. They're going to say, what is this person like? And they're going to look at your picture to see what you're like. And they can't see because your picture is so small or, or whatever. So I feel like that's that's one thing. Uh, I The last time I've been looking at some resumes, people have been sending me resumes. And I realized a lot of these people have been applying for like a year and they're not getting anywhere. And you look at the resume and their resume is just not helping them get a job. So uh, the last time I did it, I, I put out an announcement to all the people who told me they were coming. And I said, if you want, send me a copy of your resume, just block out your personal information. And I'll choose a couple of them and review it live over, you know, in my presentation. So I did that. I spent like maybe 10 minutes doing that. And uh, so those are the kind of things I do. It's I started out, it was about 45 minutes. Now it's an hour. And I'm, I'm telling you from beginning to end, I don't stop. I, it's it's solid for an hour and then I'll do some questions and answers. That's how this podcast started too. Um, Renee Small and myself were responding back and forth to LinkedIn posts. And here we are close to four years later, uh, continuing the trend. So uh, thanks for, for being out there and sharing it because everyone reaches a different audience and we need that diversity in the field. So when you think of, when you mentioned that their resume wasn't helping them get a job, what what do you look for in a resume as you advise someone? Okay, so let me tell you some things I see that I feel are, is a waste of space on your resume. I'll see people at the top, they'll do like a summary of themselves and they use all these like four and five syllable impressive sounding words. And in the end, I think 80% of those words could apply to every single person who's searching for a job. So basically it's meaningless words and space that's being taken up by on your resume that could be taken up by something that actually might help you get a job. And I feel like I've never been a recruiter, so I don't know how they work, but my impression is they're looking at these resumes pretty quick. They're giving like a five second scan pretty much. And they don't have, they're not gonna read that blah, 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 blah across the top of your resume of all these big words that don't mean anything. They're gonna look for what they're looking for and does this person have these skills? So I tell people, I say, first of all, you have to, my biggest advice is figure out what role you wanna do exactly in cyber. I had one person tell me, I love everything in cyber. I say, that's, it's impossible. You can't love everything. There's got to be one thing that when you are doing it in boot camp or college or, or if you're doing you know, cyber on your own and you're learning on your own, 
there's got to be one thing that you just love doing. You can't stop. It's like a, almost it's not work to you. If you think that's what you like to do, focus and find out what that role is called. Find all the different names that role is called by and then start preparing for that role. People say, you know, uh, they have imposter syndrome. So I say, this is how you get over that. Don't be an imposter. And you're like, what? How do I not be an imposter? I don't have a job yet. Okay, so focus what you want to do. Figure out, I want this exact role in cyber. I'm going to make my resume for this role. I'm going to start learning everything there is to do about this role. and take every kind of free training I can do. I'm going to read everything I can read. I'll do a home lab and focus on these things. And then those are the kind of things, all those things you've been doing are the things that could go in your resume right at the top to say, you know, qualities I bring to this role and bang, 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 bang. So the person looking at your resume sees all those things right at the top. I need somebody who can do this and this person's got it. They're not searching through your resume. Does he have this skill and looking all the way from top to bottom like a scavenger hunt trying to see if your resume has what they're looking for. You put it right at the top. That's that's my advice. And then all the other skills you have, they can go underneath that. I see a lot of space taken up by because people are transitioning from other roles in other jobs have nothing to do with cyber. I've seen a resume where two thirds of the resume went on for a page and a half and the bottom half of the resume and the top and bottom of the next page were were very detailed descriptions of all the things that they did that they were responsible for in their prior roles. None of it had anything to do with cyber. And my advice is the the person who's looking to hire somebody, they're not going to even look at that stuff. It has nothing to do with what they're looking for. They're looking for stuff with cyber. So I would suggest to people, if your job had nothing to do with cyber and you feel like it didn't have any transferable skills or, or very little, I would just put down the name of the role, the name of the company, and the dates you worked there and put that near the bottom of your resume. Don't waste space in your resume. And then your resume should be filled with all the stuff you're doing to get that role. So I'll challenge you on that one. Okay. You're interested in GRC. You were teaching. In your teaching, you were doing a lot of compliance management because you were ensuring that your teachers that you led um, met these state requirements, that the students met these state requirements. When you did state-level testing, that they got to these levels. But I'm guessing you probably didn't highlight any of those transferable skills as a GRC thing that you did in your resume. Right. So in my resume, I didn't highlight those like I did. I I mean, I said I highlighted some of them, but some of them like my how do I describe it? My responsibilities. I did Mm -hmm. list a couple of them because I felt like they were like leadership responsibilities and that might apply to the role. So I did put some of them down there. But when you're like in a role that has like zero, like a, if you can't find any way and you're telling me I did this, 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 that most of that is nonsense or useless. Have you ever recommended that folks go to the NIST NICE Work Development Framework? Say that again. I'm sorry. There's, it's called the NIST. The NIST NICE Workforce Development Framework. And what that is, is a framework created by the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, 
where they break down all the roles and responsibilities into bite-sized pieces that you can include on your resume of things that you've done that apply to cybersecurity roles. So one I haven't thing, heard of that, but that sounds yeah, great, actually. One of the things that we do for the whole human initiative is we, we have stakeholders um, go to that so that they could look at it and f- find the things that they might not have otherwise thought of that applies to their role if they're looking for something else. And then that way, they have things that they can include that they wouldn't have otherwise included. That sounds great. I think I will work that into my next presentation. Yeah, I'll share the link with you. Um, and it's a great framework. And then there's a, another great resource that we use. We use other great resources that um, Whole Cyber Human Initiative, where we have the, the students do an assessment based on their prior work. And it gives a listing of the different positions and where they might most likely align to kind of give them that guidance of where to look. So rather than picking all of the potential 52 roles in IT and cyber that they might consider, it might narrow it down to like five or six. And then we have them narrow it down to three, two or three and then help coach them um, further that way. Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Can I share one last thing before we run out of time? Absolutely, go ahead. What I tell people is what the people who are hiring you are looking for is passion, okay? They're not looking just to fill a seat. I I have an empty seat, I gotta fill it with somebody. They They don't just want somebody who knows cyber. They want somebody who wants that job and that in that company. So they're looking for somebody who's whatever that role is, who's passionate about that, who wants to do that. Because what the last thing they want is to hire somebody who doesn't really want to do that. They train them for six months and then the person gets a job somewhere else doing what they really wanted to do. So they want to find somebody who's passionate about that and also is passionate about working for the company. So that's where you said, you know, that research about the company comes in. So I learned about the company. Uh, Legato Security is the name of the company I work for. They're uh, an MSSP. And at the time I worked for it, uh, it was relatively small. We, we've doubled in size in the one year since I've uh, been working there. We're growing fantastically. And one of the questions that was asked in my interview was, where do you see yourself five years from now? And for me, that was a perfect question because it allowed me the chance to show my passion for risk and compliance and my passion for working in this company. So my answer to that was, I want to be an expert in risk and compliance five years from now. I want to know everything. And so what I like about this particular role in this company is I'm going to be the risk and compliance person. So I'm gonna, if it comes in, it has to do with risk and compliance. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to learn it. So this is like the perfect role for me in the perfect place because I'm going to get to learn everything and I'll eventually reach that goal of knowing everything or as much as I can. Of course, you always have to keep learning. So uh, that was an example of how you can show your passion for the role and for the job in that company. And that's what they want to see. When they hear that, they can say, I want to hire this person. Absolutely. And um, then there's risk and compliance. And then you could get down to even smaller niches like um, privacy 
or like um, breach notification specializations and, and things like that. Um, Third party but, risk auditing. Exactly. Um, yep. as, as we get to the end, um, I always like to ask my, my interviewers to look back on your career and see yourself five years ago. What one piece of advice would you give to yourself? I'll go back farther than five years and say, don't go into teaching, go into, go into cyber. And uh, I remember a long time ago, I had started learning a little teeny bit of programming. I wanted to create a, a computer game, kind of a program thing where uh, I, I was into role-playing games at the time, mm -hmm. fantasy role-playing games. And so I wanted to have a computer game where you know, you're in a dungeon or something, you can go straight, you can go to the left or to the right, you know, and then the program would take you through what would happen if you made the decision to the left, you would see this and it would work like that. And I worked on that for a little bit, but you know, I gave it up, got interested in other things or whatever. And I really wish I had stayed with that and maybe my path in life would have been way different. Uh, guess what? They created a game like that. <laughs> I'm sure they did. No, the, the government actually created um, a game. I, I think it's called Cyber Knights, but l let me look for it. Um, I, I remember seeing it, uh, an app for it where you'd go through and they would describe it s similar to that. But um, it, they actually did create a game like that. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. For those of you joining us on LinkedIn, Peter's LinkedIn profile is linked below. Uh, follow him, uh, connect with him. For those of you following us on YouTube, hit subscribe, hit that notification button. And for those of you on Twitch, follow us and join us the next time. Share this with all your friends and family. If you're following us on podcasts, give us a five or 10 star rating and share it with more people. We need people from a diverse background from a variety of different backgrounds and perspectives like Peter coming from teaching where you can relate to different aspects of cyber and help others understand it as well. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Christoph. Absolutely. Have a great day.